0: Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Living with XXY podcast series. I'm your host, Ryan Briganti. So today we have a mother named Jackie on the other line that's from kind of northeastern Kansas. How's it going?
1: It's going just just great. Thanks.
0: Absolutely. It's wonderful having you on the show. And um, so I'm curious on how you, your son, or how you guys kind of found out about um him having Kleinfelder syndrome, were you guys diagnosed later on or in utero?
1: No, he was diagnosed when he was in middle school. So we, um, I believe it was his eighth grade year. We had just gone in for a physical and his family practice doctor said, you know, uh, he's, he's doing fine. You know, he's in good health, but some of his, um, the puberty growth patterns were a little bit different than he had anticipated. And so he said just check back in a few months, and he'd take another little quick exam. And then um, he said he mentioned that there was something called Kleinfelter syndrome. I think he did actually use the term, and um, he sees it occasionally. It's not that common, but he does see it, and he explained it just a little bit. And and then I waited, and then I went home, of course, like like most parents would do. And then I googled it. Oh no, <laughs> um, because I. I didn't know what this was right and um so I that was in 2017 I guess that would have been about four years ago so uh I googled it and I thought well that can't be my son I mean I just just thought that could not be him it just didn't um describe him in a lot of ways and now some things did like some things were like oh well that could be it but uh still I thought let let's just not worry, let's just wait, like the doctor said. So he ended up later that fall getting a, a appendicitis, so he had to go back to the doctor. And um in that process the doctor said, Hey, you know, um, why don't you go ahead and I'm gonna recommend you go to a pediatric endocrinologist because uh some things still haven't changed and he was specifically looking at his, you know, the genitalia size and um he's tall he's growing you know everything else seems to be on track but he some other, you know just that part isn't is advancing the way he thought so let's look into it so we made an appointment with a pediatric endocrinologist and we're fortunate that we did have one here in, in in our town and so we went and met with her and she kind of explained it a little bit more she was actually much more helpful than the internet was um and recommended, of course, that he do the blood work. So we did the, the blood work, and that confirmed that the hormone levels were, were not where they would expect them to be for a boy his age. So then we did the karyotype, I believe is what it was, uh, to find out you know, that he in, did indeed have an extra X. And that would have been, I think, in late December. So I think we knew about it, I guess it would have been rattling around in my head for about three months before we finally got a real confirmation um about it and And that was yes in the middle of his eighth grade year
0: once you guys got the confirmation did and then you understood a little bit more about it obviously over the years you learned more and more about it and do you look back on his early childhood where there did he have delays in his early childhood or things that that you can what you know now like to look back on that or was was he just like a smooth sailing kid
1: you know in hindsight there are some things of course that are clearer now because of this, but he was not delayed with speech or motor skills or, or any of those kinds of things, which often when you, when you Googled Kleinfelter's, those types of things kind of came up. He read, he was a good reader. He always was a good student. Um He always has done well in school, academically speaking. I would say that for him, the challenge has been much more social. So um We were told that when he was in preschool, you know, Grable's a smart kid, but he, he, uh, socially he's going to have to work a little harder in school to make those friendships and relationships and, and just honestly, to speak up to teachers. He was so shy in kindergarten. He wouldn't talk to the teacher for three months. And I don't think he went to the bathroom at school for several months because of that. He just didn't know how to, it was the communication with folks that that were new to him. So in hindsight, I would say, the social things are definitely what what we what we notice now. And while the physical markers were not, you know, there were no delays with speech or any or the or the motor skills, I will say that he has always taken his own time. He has been on his own timeline. And he's usually towards the end of the timeline that they say. <laughs> so if, you know, you're supposed to walk by, you know, eighteen months he walked at like 13. I mean, I, you know, he wasn't late by any means, but he was not early. Um, he got teeth slowly. <laughs> he he, um, he learned to read uh, on on time, you know, in kindergarten. But it took him, you know, he wasn't the first reader, right? Um, but once he got it, he got it. And that's how he was with walking. Um, it took him a little longer maybe to get there. Not longer, but, you know, not quick. But once he got there, he walked really well. So. He's always been an observer. He's always watched, and he learned so much by watching. Um, many teachers I find in school don't think kids can really learn that way, and he really did, and he still can. And so that I think uh, in his learning style, definitely, you, definitely kind of follows along with what I've read about Klinefelter's kids.
0: You have me smiling over here because you literally just answered my my next question. I was gonna, <laughs> I was gonna ask, you know, is he an observer? Because one thing I've noticed through talking to lots of parents with young kids, older kids, even my life, I look back on it and I've always observed people. I've always watched people. And, you know, even if I was to I'm, I'm not the one to first jump in and do something, um, if it's yeah. extreme or whatever it may be, I'm, I'm always like, wait, let me watch someone do it and then see how they do it. Because I learned yep. by the visual. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's so awesome that you noticed that even before like finding yeah. out that he had Kleinfelder syndrome, that he was just that, that way. Yes,
1: definitely.
0: Yeah. And we all learn. Yeah. We all learn differently and we all, you know, like it's so like a lot of research and stuff compares us to the X, Y pop, like the typical normal quote unquote quotation marks, um, population yeah. of, of men with just with X, Y and And I'm always like, why are they comparing us? Like we have our own successful traits. We have our own problems Mm -hmm. and we we learn differently and all that. So you can't like put us in the same room. We'll do things better that they won't do well and they'll do things better than we do well. But it's doesn't mean that we're like stupid or dumb or, you know, you know, so so once you got diagnosed and your son got diagnosed and did how was it? to let him did you guys let him know because he was in eighth grade like how was Mm -hmm. the process of telling him that this is what you have
1: yeah so we found out in in late december and then um or it might have been even early january but it was around christmas break and i wanted to learn a lot more about it before we talked to him because uh, as you know you this is part of why you're doing this work you know that what came up four years ago when you Googled it wasn't always helpful to parents <laughs> who were, who were wanting to know what was going on. So um, it was a little, a little scary at first because I wasn't seeing a lot of hopeful information. Um, so I, I was able to connect with someone that actually had just moved away from living about 30 minutes from me. Um, she now lives a couple of states away from me, but we were able to connect and cause I found an article that quoted her in in a paper paper just again 30 miles from our house and from a town 30 miles from our house and um, was connected with her and her son was a a couple years older than our son so it was so helpful to talk to somebody and at least kind of goes we we emailed we talked on the phone Um, it was just so helpful and to ask questions and, and so I wanted to wrap my head around good resources before we did anything and um so we did tell um tell him, I think fairly soon, I mean it wasn't right away, but it was I would say within a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, maybe maybe month max, but it was about that time frame, and when we talked to him, uh luckily I'd had a lot of good i had read good articles about good ways to tell your son, and so we talked about it, and we used the analogy about the what is Honestly, the best one I've heard, and I use it so much is about. Um, you know, that most of us have, um, you know, 46 books in our library, and Gabriel, and that's in our brain, we have a brain with 46 books, and Gabriel has 47, you know, he has an extra book. So he's, he's always processing extra information that the rest of us don't have to wade through. And he is doing the best that he can, given that he has extra data to process. And he doesn't, he doesn't have, you know, some of the biological things to help him process that, right? He doesn't have enough of the, the testosterone to help him. So that, when I explained that to him, and he was also in eighth grade in biology, you know, learning about a little bit about genetics, and so he had a little bit of a background in that, uh, somewhat, as much as a fourteen-year-old can. And he, he got it, and he said, "Yeah," he said, "I've always." this this kind of explains things because i've always thought that i wasn't like all the other kids all the other boys and this just makes sense you know so um it was not a real big shock it wasn't something he he still even now and he's 17 now but he still wasn't ready to just go tell everybody right it wasn't something he wanted to announce um that's not that's not his style with anything, right? He does not want to have any attention called to him in any way whatsoever. So he's not really shared this with any of his friends. He knows our family knows. He knows that some of our good friends know. We have talked with some people at the school, a counselor, you know, just because we felt it important that they know about his, you know, the physical stuff going on with him. But he took it really well. And uh, we did talk about though how that meant there might be some things that he could be, but we can work on with him to help him. Now that we know maybe a reason why he has trouble with it. His, what we learned about was executive functioning skills. That was not something I knew about before, before we found out about his diagnosis. And so finding out, oh my gosh, that's, that's another issue. He has a kid. Executive functioning is not his strong suit. So let's work on that. Let's find resources to help him try to organize better. Um, and so we're honestly, we're still working through a lot of that. We haven't found anything that's a magic bullet, but it's, it's something that he knows he has to work on and he knows that it's, it's challenging for him to do it. And he knows he doesn't want to work on it. <laughs> um, but at least now there, there is a, you know, we don't want to blame everything on, on coin filters because there's a lot to be said for just, you know, personality and, and who we are uh, biologically and you know emotionally otherwise, and who raised us. But, he he really um, has something, though, that can't explain. Some of these missing pieces, I, su- I guess, is how to figure yeah, it out. Um, it, seem,
0: yeah. it seems that, you know, what you just said about, like, executive functioning, I never Googled Kleinfeld or Cinnamon until shortly before I made my YouTube video in 2017. And I was 31, mm-hmm. 32 years old. And I never once Googled it in my entire life. So I never knew what executive function even was. And Mm -hmm. like, I never even want, and I still am like trying to process a lot of these like things where they say they're disorders, right? Like it's, it's like, we just do things differently than the rest of the population and, our brains just operate like I feel like my brain is a voice or a a video recorder like I record everything like from the Mm. colors of shoelaces to the the smells in the air and and the weather just everything and I can remember it and go back to it like as if it was yesterday there's some really amazing things and you know the the books I want to I want to touch on that the the forty six or forty seven books. I remember I think you wrote that on when I was asking mm-hmm. about how parents have told their kids. And I think yeah. that this is one of the best ways so far that I've heard because a lot of parents dread telling their kids about, you know, the about having forty seven XXY and or Kleinfelder yeah. syndrome. And and it's not the birds and the bees conversation that we all dread from our parents, you know? Like mm-hmm. I think parent, I think parents dread kind of, and dread might not be the exact same word, but they, they worry about how their son's going to interpret it, what to say, how to say it, how it's going to, you know, like there's so much that goes into it and they overthink it. And we, you know, like your son said, like he knew that he was different and he knew, he just knew. And like, we all know, and Mm -hmm. we all know we're different. We almost, we're almost like the, the drone that's flying above everyone that likes to observe the everyone, but we see the world in a different perspective than everyone else. And just, and so it's like the 46 books and the 47 books, the way you describe (laughs) it is so easy for, and it's analogy. So like I've learned throughout my life, like you said, communication, I've learned that small talk is the most important thing that you could learn as far as social goes. And a lot of the boys that are like in grades and granted middle schools, the hardest, out of all (laughs) the uh, it's the worst and it's the hardest out of all the school years um but small talk is how you build friendships it's how you build relationships it's how you talk to you know your teachers it's and and we're i know i've noticed that a lot of xxy guys and kids are really good at the detailed one-on-one conversations about the things that they're really into but when it Mm -hmm. comes time to like making that friend making those friends in that group of like three people or more they they just socially just fall apart or they become the they've become the really shy quiet person that doesn't because I mean I I describe it in the analogy of like my brain sees in pictures so by the time I Mm -hmm. find the words to describe like what I want to say it's already too late and the group has already yeah. moved on or it takes me a lot longer to describe something and people are impatient. And so then they just mm-hmm. cut, then they just cut you off. And then when you get cut off to us, it's like the worst thing in the world. And we don't know how to process like those emotions of being cut off and your emotions just go like through the roof on that one. Um, yeah,
1: that that's very true. I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Ryan, because I, I did hear that from somebody else uh, because it is something he's explained. He, you know, as he's getting older, he can explain things and how it makes how he feels about them much better than he used to. He has a very good way of explaining that, the process that his brain goes through in classes and, and uh, when talking to people. And so he explains it much like that. He, he doesn't see things as much in pictures, though. He sees things he talks about in colors. He actually sees when people talk, their words in his brain are colors. Cool. And so it can get very distracting for him because, um, he doesn't, I've never had, he's never been diagnosed with, with anything like ADHD. It's possible, I suppose. Uh, but he, but he might have some of that, but he, he finds that that can get distracting to him. So then he, he sees the colors in his brain. He's listening, but it, that he's also slower to respond because it takes his brain longer to process that most colors as well as if there's a lot if there's any ambient noise in the room right he'll pick Mm -hmm. some of that up as well and that adds to the that adds to the colors that are going on in his brain which adds some confusion and so it makes it hard for him then to focus on answering the question so that and and so much of school work is you know nowadays and I think there's lots of positives to this right small group work working with your peers, doing project-based assignments as opposed to just on your own worksheet. Sometimes those things are hard for him though because of all of the stimulus, stimuli that are coming at him. And so um, that, that's challenging. And um, it's something he, honestly, I, I think he's probably experienced it much of his life and he's been able to compensate for it in some way. He actually says he didn't always see things in colors. Uh, that wasn't always that actually has developed stronger as he's gotten older and has actually made it a little harder for him to focus than than when he was younger um so I'm not not sure how the somehow that's just how his brain is developing but if he can get a teacher that's patient with him you know if he can get kids that will be patient he has really good ideas but he doesn't like that feeling that he's that people are impatient, and I have to work on this too. I'm a very impatient person. I was raised to <laughs> do things this way—you get it done quickly and fast—and that is so hard for me as a parent. So I've had to adjust that some too, and realize, okay, he needs a minute to process. I can't always just throw things at him really fast, you know, like, okay, we got to go to the store right now and get you, blah 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 blah. I—you can't do that. He's like, hold on, wait a second. What are we doing? When are we going? You know, I we have to kind of break it down. And I think that 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 ties into some of that executive functioning, which is that part where his brain just has more trouble creating kind of a priority list because when he hears me talking, he doesn't hear the words necessarily. He hears, he sees colors and he knows they mean something and it takes him longer to decode it. And so it just is a little more of a process. So the fact that he has been as well in our school system as he has, honestly, is quite amazing. (laughs) I'm actually more amazed at him as I've learned about his diagnosis over the years than I, than I was before, because it's like, wow, you are functioning very well in a world that is not designed for a teacher.
0: Totally. Totally. You're, and the one thing is your son is very, it seems like he's self-aware. He's learning more about like how it's, to become self aware at at a young age, I just did a podcast with Coben who's twenty three years old, lives in Canada, and at twenty-three he is so on point with his feelings and his emotions and we talked about the same kind of communication thing and I've learned throughout my life I was never this way. I was never this articulate mm. and this put together. I was I was just like your son at at, at when I was young <laughs> young. Like yeah. this has taken a lifelong of being of putting effort back into myself to be able to get to this Mm -hmm. point. And what I've learned is analogies is like the easiest and quickest way to take what I'm thinking and then put it out to people for them to understand. So I've learned lots of analogies and then analogies are visual. So when I'm telling people an analogy, I understand what I'm telling people and I know where to kind of go with the analogy based on the, the, area the group of people that i can read really well like i Mm because we're all so visual so i really pay attention to like body language before i even pay attention to what the words that are coming out of people's mouths i can usually Mm -hmm. tell by what their emotions are how they're feeling based off of their visual before they even speak and it's it's Pretty, It's a pretty cool um, like, way of, of being able to communicate with people because you can kind of read them and understand where their frustration or what they're going to talk about before they even open their mouth. Um, but yeah, it's really awesome. I mean, I would love to, if your son is up for it in the future, I know that we're all, some of us can be shy and, and not really sure mm-hmm. what to talk about. But even even if I, when I hopefully get on the road, it would be awesome to be able to have like a conversation with him and have him explain yeah like how his brain works, because I bet you there are so many other 14, 16, 17, 18 year olds that are all in high school that could totally relate to the way he is. And it, the fact that you figured this out and it really, like you said, you're the most impatient person and you've learned (laughs) that you have to be patient with your son. Um, it brings you patience, which is a great thing to have.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Right. And And it's good to hear from you too, that it it is a skill you, you get later. I think, I think, you know, I think we expect so much of our kids when they're teenagers anyway. And, and this, and, and, for the boys that do have this extra, extra data to process, um, I think it's even tougher in some ways. And so it's helpful for me as a parent to hear you talk about that you, you just kind of kept working on it and it, it might, it starts small, but it's small steps and that you, you have made progress and, well if now you you're, if you don't you're in your 30s. Yeah, if you don't <laughs> yeah. practice,
0: you don't get better and it's everything in life. Yeah. And like my girlfriend yeah. is very she can read a book and dive into the book and become part of the book and when I like start talking to her she's like gone. And she's yeah. she's so she she's able to cut out all the background noise, everything and and daydream right out in the open versus me when I go to the beach or something I'm constantly looking at like what are people doing where are people mm-hmm. like and then the the constant noises like I can yeah. from my bedroom with one window open I can pretty much label every single noise that I hear and I'll be 100% accurate like that noise is this kind of airplane that noise is this kind of helicopter like the the Intricate and we pay attention to all those intricate details. And like you said, we have more data to process. So yep. we just pay and then like since sens- you add sensory in there, like I can't stand tags on clothes. I wore the same clothes when I was a kid, but my parents, I was just that's how I was. There were no labels when I was a kid for all the things that there are now, I would say. So yeah. it's been interesting for me to Google Kleinfelter syndrome at 31 after living pretty much my whole life you know, on my own from 19 all the way till 31 and and even now, but then go back in my life with the information that I know now from just meeting people, talking to you and, and then being able to like, oh, weird. Like, okay. So a lot of us have small talk issues. Like we, that's the communication, you know, and we don't know how to small talk. Our vocabulary might not be very big. So then, and then the patient's thing, kids, Are not patient. If you're a little bit slower and they pick up on it, they're going to make fun of you. And I mentioned, you know, you you mentioned how he's not out to the world telling people about his diagnosis. Well, you know, it's something that you if if you if you're going to get bullied or you know that there's bullies out there, you're not going to put if you're if you're if you understand not to put yourself in that situation, you're not going to just go tell people certain things about yourself because they'll just turn around and, and find a way to to bully you. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. did your son go through any bullying regardless of X, X, Y or not? Like, did he experience any of that when he was younger?
1: You know, he really didn't. Uh, and we, we talked about it a lot because of the times in which he was growing up. Bullying became a real, uh, a real focus in school, right? You know, that was a, a big talk topic for teachers and they'd have bully awareness and give you tools and, you know, lots of things. And <clears throat> when he was going to elementary school, he was we were actually we lived in a different state, we had and uh we were living in a very different kind of area. And he was actually so he's white, but he was the minority in his classroom. And he went there from kindergarten to sixth fifth to fifth grade, and it that part of it was fine, like he it wasn't because of, of race at all, but it was very different demographically as well, right? So, um, he had some kids that were not very good in school, they had other issues at home they didn't have very stable family life so it was uh, some kids that didn't always have a meal when they went home so it was a, a very economically diverse school and <clears throat> I was worried sometimes because some of the boys uh in his grades had some challenges at home and and i I knew about what some of them were, and I thought I hope that you know um they 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 weren't into reading they weren't uh, like him. You know, he was more of a quiet kid into reading. Um, Some of these kids were much more physical and wanted to play pretty hard. And that's just not, that's not his background. He has a very different background than these kids. And so he had a great time with them and, and he didn't have any issues. Now, he had a couple kids that stole some things from him, (laughs) little things, nothing major. Um, but he did and then some of that you know he was quiet and shy and so was he going to put up a fight for some of that no he didn't know they took it like they didn't hurt him they just took it out of his backpack and he didn't know it was gone so those kinds of things did happen but he never had anybody physically harm him or say anything to him that made him feel different and he you know, he's always been, like you said, a little bit different, right? Um, in his classes. And so I was concerned about that because he just didn't quite fit in in any way with a lot of those boys, And I know and
0: I know the feeling.
1: <laughs> he did well. He did well. And they he actually said, you know, they're my friend. So and so is my friend. And then when so and so, you know, stole his little toy or whatever and didn't get it back. Then he was a little like questioning, but he's always been an excellent judge of character. I will just say that too. That is something I noticed before any of, of the Kleinfelder Spain came in. He's always known somehow without me saying it, he just knows who to hang out with and who not to, to hang out with. Right. And he knew some of those kids, even, you know, some of those kids uh, were not as nice as some of the other kids. <laughs> and he's still that way. You know, he's got a core group of like three friends, I will say, and those are his close friends mm-hmm. and, and, that's who he's got now, He, but he considers himself friends with all kinds of other people. And even in high school, he doesn't, and high school is really big, and where we live now is a very different economic environment, frankly, it's quite much more on the opposite end of the spectrum, lots more wealthy kids and, and much, much more, much less minority representation. And he's fine there too. You know, he, he just fits in so well in so many places, even though he is different he has figured out how to do that which i think is is pretty amazing as well
0: jack of all trades master of none like be <laughs> the ch- yeah. the chameleon like no i think it you know i'd love to talk to him but it, i i bet it has something to do with being able to read people and and being able to yeah. observe them by their body language how they treat other people like all of that goes into play and then being very like whether it's he relates it to colors or being a very visual person you can remember Mm -hmm. like who did something at this point that was bad to this person and you remember that and you don't let that you don't drop your guard when it comes to some of that stuff i do know that even when i was younger and and through life you can be a little gullible and Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and it's it gets taken advantage of by women that i dated when i was younger or just other people in general being the nice guy, you know, green day made a great song. Nice guys finish last. And (laughs) um, being the nice guy, you know, everybody wants the night, you know, women want to date the nice guy, but then they want the bad boy. And so when you're the nice Mm -hmm. guy, you get taken advantage of, you get run over. And I think it's just life, right? You learn through life to like, oh, okay. Like, and then you, you kind of put up your guard a little bit more, a little bit more. And it's something like socially you learn and you get better as, as you try. And I think your son has that desire to keep trying to not give up to he has he's got the self-awareness. And I think a lot of families and my dad would always say it, and I would take it as a negative, but um, we're more sensitive and yeah, yeah. it's, it's not a negative. It's a great thing, but also you got to learn how to, on your own, you got to learn how to not be so sensitive in some aspects and, and to not necessarily read, you know, you might take someone as bullying you, but they're actually like trying to be nice to you, like some interpretations, but, um, that I think it just all comes with time and putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, whether you want to or not. And like you, like you were saying with him, just like practice, right? So putting yourself into situations that make you uncomfortable so you can get yeah. better so you can get better at it and not a lot of people want to be put not a lot of kids want to be put into those vulnerable situations or their parents will pull them out of sports or pull them out of situations and i think that can lead to kind of something negative if you continue to pull your kid out of things that he's no longer interested in then it means yeah. like later on in life when you get a job that you don't like or your boss doesn't like you you need to learn how to push through versus be like oh i'm, I'm i can't deal with you i'm quitting and so yeah i don't know i mean so as it's far as true. as far as things go with him like wh- what what What's high school like? What's he into? Um, sports, dating, like what, what's kind of like you said he likes to read, so I'm assuming sports maybe not, might not be his thing. Yeah. Is he in band <laughs> or, or what's, what's kind of so, like?: Yeah,
1: he, he actually he used to like to read more. He doesn't read as much as he used to. Um, but yeah, he, um, he, is, he plays cello, so he's played cello actually since fourth grade. Um, and I will say that I, I believe that being involved in music in that way has been great for his brain, uh, especially knowing everything else that, that of course we, that was way before we had a diagnosis. Right. But I've learned so much about how music really helps reformat brains and it's pretty fascinating. So I think that the music has probably been really, really good for him because it's organized. It, it has an ex, a kind of a built-in <laughs> executive functioning kind of component. Uh, that I think helps him, help helps helps his brain organize things sometimes, whether he likes it or not, because music is the way that it is. So he's been cello. He's 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 not you know a virtuoso player or anything, but he he plays, he practices, he takes lessons, and he likes being part of performing that in a group. In a group, he's good. Um. So that he's done for a long time. Then he is also a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. Awesome. So he started he started jujitsu back in like elementary and then he started taekwondo in in middle school sixth grade and um so he's been doing taekwondo since for six years and has a second degree black belt he'll be testing for his third degree probably within the next six, six months or so that has been a wonderful thing too because um you know sports weren't his deal He he did do some. We tried all of them. You know, he tried soccer. He tried all the team sports when you're little, T-ball and all that. And he played and he, he was fine, but it just, none of them clicked. And we finally figured out it was the team component. He just didn't feel, you know, he would do it. That's so again, that's of you're talking about having to do stuff, whether they feel comfortable at it, in it or not, right? We said, you know, you need to try these so you at least know what you like and what you don't. And so he did them all. And then ultimately he didn't love it. So we tried the martial arts and that has been a godsend for us and in, in giving him an outlet. And, and it, and when you think about it, and I have learned so much more about it too, as he's gone through it, it's super regimented and super organized. You know, you learn forms and yep. he, he keeps all of that in his head. So his brain is capable of that work. Just like with playing the cello, right? He can play stuff that, I mean, I've never played a stringed instrument, so I don't have that experience, but it's very different than some other instruments. So he can do that. He can do the the Taekwondo. So those are kind of his extracurriculars. You know, he's very typical with a lot of boys his age. He loves his Xbox. He loves playing video games. Um, he loves, uh, but he's very creative with all of that. I mean, he, he looks upon that as he'll delve into those You know he'll learn all he can about a gaming system and then he's paid for them he bought his xbox he earned money to buy his 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 um his uh all of the consoles that he's got he he pays for them so he's very motivated by that kind of thing in fact he had his brothers that's what he would do all the time probably but he also (laughs) knows because he's gotten old enough he understands he needs these other outlets um and so yeah he does those other those other things so those are the main things he does. He, again, he is a good student. He's going to be a senior this year, which is just unbelievable to me uh, <laughs> that he is he's going to be a senior. Um, he has his driver's license, but has, so he's done technically all the driving, but he's yet to drive by himself. So um, that is something that we are probably going to wait on for a little while. Um, there's a lot of social anxiety. the Anxiety comes out at that point. Uh, really strongly when he's doing things like that and so we're just taking that that's another thing where my patience is being tested because I would love it if he could just go off gr- and do a lot of this yeah
0: <laughs> go to the grocery he'll store for you go <laughs>
1: pick his sister up at her dance lesson or whatever but we're not quite there and it's okay you know it's gonna it's gonna be fine I I've been told that sometimes some kids just aren't ready for all of those things at the same time and that is that's okay, and I, I should know by now, right? That's okay. I, I just told you he's on his timeline, and I know that when he's ready, he will be. So, what,
0: um, what's funny? Yeah. What's funny about that is I didn't get my driver's license until I was eighteen. I had a girlfriend mm-hmm. in junior year of high school that drove, and I didn't had to have any desire to to drive. And and then the to me, the permit process of like getting your permit. Then driving yeah. with your parents and doing all that yeah. and then and then being able to get your driver's license a year earlier. To me, I, I thought about it and I was like, no, like I don't need to do this. <laughs> to me, it just doesn't make sense. And and then when my girlfriend broke up with me senior year, you know, I was back to my parents taking me to school or like not my parents, but a driver taking me to school and stuff like that. Yeah. But because um, we had like carpooling people in our local area, one like a senior would drive and pick up kids and yeah. that's how it worked. Um, but when I got my driver's license I remember I failed my written test the first time um, I just the testing has always been yeah, extremely yeah. difficult it, anxiety you know and I, I'll I'll break this down because now that it's in my head about testing is it's not that we don't know the material it's that if we're timed we don't mm-hmm. it's not yes. the, it's not the time it's it's not the test it's the time we exactly. notice if I go back yeah. to like, Sophomore year, I still have this visual in my head of a 30 minute quiz. And you look at the clock, you put your head down, and then you hear someone you hear like Jonathan who sits on the left, right, like second row up, second seat, back seat. Like you just know who that is that's getting up five minutes into the test. And you're mm. like on question two, and then yeah. you, all of a sudden, other kids are getting up and handing in their test. And you're distracted by all the other noises and people getting up and then the anxiety. And it's, there's like an anxiety that just automatically hits you as soon as something's timed. It's instant. Like you worry about the time you worry about finishing the test. And then you're like on question five and then 20 minutes has already gone by. You've got 10 minutes left. And then you're like calculating like, oh my God, okay, I've got like a minute for each question. And you're thinking about that versus actually like putting your head down and trying to do the test. Yeah, and it's it like I so I failed my first um, driver's test because I felt rushed and I felt you're in there mm-hmm. ar- around all those people, um, and it wasn't digital back then. And and then I went in the second time after I studied and my parents like you know were like you're gonna do great, you're gonna pass this, you're gonna get your drivers. And then when I did my driver's test, the actual physical thing, I think I got like one thing wrong and and Good. passed with flying colors. So and so, but then when I started driving, I think that a lot of the boys have like a mapping capability where they can remember like all the buildings and everything around their area. And Mm. I, you know, I, maybe it's something that when you're driving with your son, if, if he, you'd be like, Hey, tell me how to get home, you know, like see and see if he can give you that like mapping of like, Oh, okay. You go left here. If you want to go the shorter way, you go right here then. And see if he can do that. And then if he can, then it might help build confidence in him that he mm-hmm. know he's not going to get lost. So yeah. and he doesn't need to use his phone. Like I would yeah. for all parents that have kids that are getting their driver's license that are listening right now, I would say take the phone and don't let them use the maps. Like try to right. get them to learn the area cuz we're visual learners. So he'll mm-hmm. be able to pick out you might not be able to recommend like recognize a street sign, but he'll be able to recognize. Oh, there's a blue ho- like a blue house with a red door. I turn left yeah. there, and so that that's how I've been able to like navigate society when it comes to like directions and, and life in general when it comes to that stuff. Um, so maybe yeah,
1: helpful.
0: Maybe it'll help some of the anxiety when he gets behind the wheel that he doesn't really know where he's going, or you know, just all the other cars and everything else that are around him.
1: I think it's a lot of that stimuli. I think that yeah. you know the if that seems to be more the issue because he he seems to have a pretty good, like you said, a pretty good sense of direction. Um, I think it feel it seems like there are some things that yes, distract them a little bit, and so I think he also doesn't. We talked about this. I think when we we talked this before for my other interview, but talking about confidence, confidence is a big part of it too, and so just self confidence in himself that he can do it um, is is definitely
0: lacking. So, yeah. So, I'm, I fully understand yeah. the confidence. You know, a lot of people will say you you're so confident in your videos. I'm like, wait, what, what do you mean? Confidence? What are, what are you talking <laughs> about? I, you know, I think it's a, I know, I know a, a few X, X, Y guys that are like really, really confident in themselves and to, got do do lots of things on the, like go to the bar by themselves and pick up girls and do all that. They're super confident, but I definitely know the lack of confidence feeling. And, um, mm. I think, I don't know how it, 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 that's one of the things I'm trying to figure out is how to, how to make an analogy out of it. So parents understand it. And so the younger guys can pick up on it and be like, yeah, I can do this. I do have that, you know, in, he might know how to do like karate, like he might know how to do things, but if he doesn't believe in himself, then he Mm -hmm. doesn't think he can do it even though he's done it a hundred times. Right,
1: right. It's yeah, the repetition is so critical, and I I keep telling him that too, you know, because I and I remind him, you couldn't do this, you know, you couldn't do XYZ, you know, two years ago, but now you can do that, and and so that that has helped. Um, so yeah, it's it's just it's just again, it's all about a timeline, it's his timeline, it's kind of internal, and we just have to kind of trust it somewhat. And that that as a parent is one of the hardest the hardest things uh, for me. But it it's taught me so much for sure.
0: It's giving you uh, a patience is a virtue. <laughs>
1: yes, it it does help. <laughs> I think it, it. Yeah, I mean it's it can you can only benefit from being patient. I suppose it's only a good thing.
0: So have you guys talked with him about after high school? Like you mentioned, he's bought all his Xbox and all of his games and stuff with his own money. So has he, does he have an allowance? Has he learned? Is he- He's
1: earned money. Okay. He just, so he finds things he wants and then he's motivated to do work to, to earn it. So a lot of that Xbox money was for his, uh, and his switch. He has a switch too, but those were earned by babysitting his sister when she was a little younger and he was, you know, three years older than her. So, he was able to watch her while we would go do things and we would pay him, you know, a little bit, to do all that. So that was what a lot of that was. He's, he's now almost 14, so she doesn't need a babysitter. So <laughs> he has, he's, that was his easy earning, uh, earning money uh, plan. But nowadays he's, um, he's actually we're trying to teach him, we're trying to teach him a lot of things this summer, given that hopefully he will start college, you know, next year. And so we're, having him do some things around the house uh, or having him really go through his room and kind of clean that, not just clean it, but like really get rid of some things that have been there for, you know, eight years or whatever. So half his life. So we're, we're working with him on, on just trying to get him to do some of these organizational tasks. He doesn't like to change how his room is at all. I mean, honestly, if it were his way, he'd probably leave everything exactly as it is. And not alter it. <laughs> he, uh, he doesn't want to throw things away. It, it's not like a hoarding thing, but it's more just a he likes this particular thing. It's been there for a long time, and so it's hard for him to let go of it. Um, An attachment. He has he has a lot of attachment to his things, which make it hard to get rid of things. But um, so yeah, we're, this summer he's been doing a lot of that kind of thing. We've had had him doing yard work. You know, we haven't had him do like a job outside the home yet. Um, because for all the other reasons, and probably this is, I'm a this is probably familiar with other boys you talk to and their parents, but he just, he, he gets so he can get so out of focus if he doesn't keep focused on the main thing, right? So a job in some ways would, just a summer job would be kind of, it'd be great in some ways to teach him some of those skills, but he's just not quite able to separate that from the other things he also needs to do in his life. He, he just the balancing is still really tricky for
0: him yeah to- so, totally totally
1: he'll, he'll he'll do it eventually right? I mean I know he will. Um but right now so that's why we're kind of trying to give him work at home to do. So for half his day he can't play video games. He has to do something in the house and do some work. Um and and show us what he did and you know it's all prep work for it when he does eventually have a job. So
0: everything that is
1: something
0: yeah yeah no everything that you're doing um keep doing it like i didn't work i didn't have a job throughout high school because for me school was so difficult and i had yes. tutors and i had all these other outside of like sylvan learning center and i did hooked on phonics when i was yeah, younger like yeah. i did all these extracurricular i had a tutor i did play sports in high school i played freshman basketball and then i played volleyball all four years i got kicked off volleyball cuz my grades which is another story, but, um, a lot of people have heard that it was a life. It definitely taught me a lot about life, but what mm-hmm. you're teaching your son in the home. And this is another thing I recommend parents, since we are visual and we learn by doing to do our laundry, you have to show us like, okay, this is where you put this, yeah. is how much soap you put yeah. in. Like, and this is what you do with the dryer. Once it comes out of the dryer, this, these are like, I don't do whites and, and, uh, colors. I do everything all at once. Um, mm-hmm. but like, Teaching the dishwashing skills and how to use the dishwasher, and just all those life skills come from yeah. the home and yep. if you teach that to him now, he'll never forget them. so when he he might not have to when he lives in the dorms if he goes off to college, he might not have to do that the first year, but when he lives on his own, all mm-hmm. those skills will come back to him and allowance like what you're you're what you're doing at home an allowance is a great thing because it teaches you how to manage money. It teaches yeah. you what's value like you're not, it teaches you not to pay $20 for a coffee at Starbucks. It teaches you, right? <laughs> it, you know, it teaches yeah. you what value is. And, mm. and then, and then they can also carry that when they're on their own, they know like they're not getting ripped off by something or, you know, they learn how to manage their own money, which are all life skills that I think I, you know, I would hope that all families would have, take the time to, to, have them be able to do that. And it's even better like this senior year, once he's managing his high school and his grades and music really well, you'd hope that you could introduce some of like, Hey, you're going to do your laundry on the weekends now. And, and hope that with the executive functioning that he can manage it without becoming like overly stressed to where it affects him, like his happiness or stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I remember you know, no, I didn't have a job. I wanted a job really bad, but my parents were like, no way, not happening. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's good to just, to know what your limits are. And, and, um, he's, and, and that's right. Like there's so many other things. I mean, he, he doesn't struggle in school as much as some folks do, but he does really work at it. So it, it's too much. It would be, I would just feel like it'd be so awful if I were to, if I were to add a job on for him, because that would just, be I don't think they'd be good at all so parents also have to listen to that instinct too yep. you know we we know our kids and 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 also knowing this knowing that he has this other thing he has to deal with in his life that helps me too because I'm like okay maybe I would have thought I could have pushed him to do this before but he actually has something that he has to manage and and I know that this is he's doing the best he can and so adding something else right now would not be wise and learning when to it's it's that happy medium. Like you talked about, you want to do some of those things that are uncomfortable, but you also have to know your limits. So it's, it's a fine line sometimes.
0: And before we go, I'm, I'm interested. Is your son, like, you talked about managing some, you know, some of the other aspects. Has your son been on testosterone since you guys found out? Like what was, what was that journey for you guys?
1: Yeah. He started it relatively quickly uh, after they got the blood work done. Um, I think, not right away, but like, within the first six months after his diagnosis, she did start him on that. His number was not horribly low. It was midline, you know, but she, so she didn't, you know, there was time to adapt. So yeah, so he started probably, I would say, in the summer after his eighth grade year, uh, and then has gradually been working with the dose you know to get the right dose and the right frequency and all of that and yes he uses the he gets an injection currently it's every three weeks um he was doing every four weeks and that last week of the month was so hard (laughs) it was just really really hard and so um we actually had a different we had to change our pediatric endocrinologist unfortunately he's had three pediatric endocrinologists in the time frame that he's had the diagnosis which is unfortunate they've all been okay but that's not the consistency that I would have preferred but um they've the the one he had at the time really wanted to increase the amount he was getting and still do it every four weeks and thankfully because of a lot of the research that I've seen you know groups now they're doing on you know testosterone really does better if you give it at least for him for sure in those shorter and shorter increments instead of four after after, what is it, like 10 to 14 days, the shelf life of it is, or the, the active life of it isn't that strong. So we were definitely noticing that that last half of the month he was lagging. So we've changed it because I pushed the doctor on this because I said, can we just try this first? Instead of upping the dose, let's up the frequency. And we did it. And that has honestly, he's been on that same amount and that same frequency for a couple of years. And so it's worked really well so for right now for him where he is yeah three weeks is perfect
0: and have and have you guys did you guys notice a difference from like before a year before testosterone and then like a year after testosterone
1: I would say subtle differences yeah I think um I think and it was that's another thing you know trying to get him to say how do do you feel any different do you you know." Sometimes some of that early self observation was hard to do, and it still is sometimes he's like well, i don't know, I can't tell, but i I do think he can tell better now um but when he was you know thirteen fourteen, I think it was a little hard for him to know, but he did notice he did notice that lag when he was so when he started getting testosterone, and it was every four weeks, yeah, it was always like the 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 last week for sure he was just so much more fatigued it was generally fatigued is how he would see it um and then I, but also we would notice, I would say a, a little bit more mood imbalances when he first got the shot. Like, um, I think some of this was also just working out the right dose for him, you know, and starting from, she was really a believer in starting low and working your way up, which I appreciated that, her, her practice, that doctor at the time. Then the next one was the one you really wanted to, use, like give more every four weeks. And that's when we talked her out of that and said, can we try this and see how he does and then we did the blood work. We did a, we got more blood tests to prove to her that yeah he was okay. At the three weeks was a perfect increment, and so um, she let me do it, and she never questioned me again on that.
0: That, that <laughs> and and go yeah. on, sorry, no, I was just gonna say that that self advocacy that you have for your son, and and trying to get the emotions for him to tell you how he's feeling that like for you to do that and be persistent and be like, oh, if they're not going to do it, then we're going to go on to another endocrinologist and find someone who will. (laughs) Like that right there, I recommend every family, like, oh yeah, you know, push themselves to be that advocate that for their son in in those moments. I remember doing shots back then. There wasn't as much information. So I was doing shots once a month. I don't remember how I felt or anything. But then once I went off to culinary school and started doing my shots myself, it went from, every 3 weeks to every 2 weeks and then about 6 or 7 years ago it went every it went to every every week mm-hmm. granted you're doing way more injections than you are every 3 weeks or every month yeah but i've mm-hmm. learned i've learned through my through my mid 20s till now that yeah once a week for me is is the right but then it's also trying to find that dose might take 3 months um, yeah. and blood work is is a blood i've learned that blood work is an accurate is, can be accurate, but also how we feel is, is especially when you get older, how you feel versus what your blood Mm -hmm. work says could be two different things. Um, and I don't know as far as health goes, as far as our client, our body with Kleinfelder syndrome, what, you know, all that there could be, there could be a study in the future about it, but who knows, but, um, it's yeah, trying to find that right dose. A lot of families has really struggle with that. And I think what you're what your son with with telling you about how he feels? It also is like that confidence of mm-hmm. <laughs> not really sure what to say, or if you might feel like you're being quizzed, which means yeah. you don't want to say it, and right. you're not fully believing in yourself. To you, we, he knows, right? He definitely knows, but yeah. how to articulate his emotions yeah. into the right
1: into words? Yeah, into exactly. The right words. Exactly
0: in the right words. That that's really hard to do. Yeah. So Yeah, I-,
1: I think I think we do have to ask questions, you know, for any any medical thing you do, but for this especially because I think they don't know everything about it. I, I think they haven't done enough studies on Klinefelters. I don't think they know exactly. And I think everybody also metabolizes it even differently. Even though we know that the shelf life of testosterone, we also you know, every every boy's gonna be different. So I think we just have to, um, advocate and ask those questions
0: for sure and find someone that's willing to work with you that's not going to be like no because then like a mom that I just did a big interview with they gave their before they found out they found out their son had xxy around 10 and they put they thought they were trying to find the diagnosis something was wrong and they put him on stratera which is an adhd medication and it suppressed his personality so for like two years Mm. he wasn't this fun go-getter kid. He was just, just this like kid just existing. And when they found the Kleinfelter filter diagnosis, they instantly pulled him off of the, the ADHD medication. And the mom was like, in two weeks, my son will be back to like what, what he was before. And sure enough, that's, that's what he was. So yeah. it's, it's just, yeah, I mean, and in and deep down as a mom, you have that like desire and that fire to fight for your kid on what you think is right and yeah. take and also taking risk cuz like you said, there's not enough research and we just don't know. So yeah,
1: Exactly. You got and you got to ask him. And what, that's what you do realize and you probably know this too from your research too that they don't they don't necessarily know about all the right dosage. They don't. <laughs> so, let's just it's, you know, I like the idea of starting small and then working your way up, you know, that's worked for us. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a very, it's, and we have to educate and we have to ask those questions because there's so many unknowns right now still with all that.
0: Yeah. That's kind of like what I've dealt with in the last month is, um, for the first time I had to donate blood cause my hemoglobin was way too high and my endocrinologist mm-hmm. would only do blood work twice uh, t- and this is another thing is like my endocrinologist will is part of a like hospital system. So they're very corporate and they're like, we only do blood twice a year. And I'm like sitting here and I'm like, well, six months ago I had high hemoglobin. Why didn't you guys let me know? And why did you just say like, we'll evaluate it? Like I want to know. So my primary care was like, well, you're on testosterone. We need to do blood work three, uh, four times a year every three months. And so now I'm like, you know, try my, 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 Uh, endocrinologist is the one that subscribes my testosterone. And my endocrinologist said, oh, we need to lower your dosage by half. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, uh, no, like, sorry. Like I'm going to, I'm going to have my primary care doctor, like kind of see where my blood work is at. And I'm going to advocate for myself right now. Like I'm going to keep my tea the way it is and see what's going on. And if like a lot of people say, high hemoglobin is, is more from injectable than, than the gels, but I don't really know. So yeah. I need to do the research and be like, is my insurance going to cover the gel? And, and,
1: right.
0: um, you know, that whole, that whole craziness is your son. So your son's on the injectable and and that's what, yeah,
1: that's,
0: that's what, what they offered you guys.
1: Now. Yeah. They, they, the injectable was mentioned with his first, uh, endocrinologist and, hadn't used it a lot she actually and it wasn't recommended or authorized for kids under 18 so she didn't push it at all because she didn't know a lot about it then we got another one who actually primarily used the gel and even though it wasn't uh, authorized for that age group and and we asked her a lot of questions and she kind of was pushy about it and I said I don't think I just we just didn't feel comfortable with it at this time because he was still just 16 or 15 at the time. So I said, let's just continue, you know, with this. It's working the way it is. The shots are working. Let's just keep that going. Yep. Um. And so she, that's the one I did have to kind of push on the frequency instead of the dose, but we got that figured out. And then the last one we went to, she looked at his blood work. It was a new, another new one, but she's like, his numbers are really good. And he goes and gets checked in the mid you know the middle of his week and a half end of the three week cycle his numbers are great she said i don't think we need to change anything so and she didn't push the gel she says it's out there if you want to look at it at some point but nobody's going to push you so um we has he has a sister too he shares a bathroom with so i didn't and uh you know (laughs) when you start talking (laughs) about having that that testosterone gel just (laughs) <laughs> it was a little concerning sharing the bathroom with this
0: is Well, so, not even yeah. that. Not even that. If you have struggled with executive functions, like taking a shower and cleaning and doing all, yep, yeah. <laughs> remembering to do it every yeah. day, whether it's in the morning or at night, and doing it and yep. making sure and, and all that. A lot of families have actually told me that they, they did the gel and their son in their 18 to 23 range was just having a really hard time and the mood swings and all the yeah. hormone, like, ups and downs that they just decided like, we're going to go back to inject or we're going to try injections or go back to it because it's way more smooth. And you know, it's something that he can learn to do and he doesn't have to do it every day versus, you know, once a week or yeah. So that's cool. Well, it's been awesome having you on the show. Is there anything that you would like to say else or anything that you'd like to kind of tell moms within your son's age range that have, um, you know, sons with XXY?
1: Yeah, I think I just want to say that, uh, you know, some of these themes came up in our conversation, but um, it is about learning about your son and, and, and trusting whether you found, and I know if you found out when they're younger before you actually got to know the kid, like if you find out in Euro, that is not an experience I've had. So I can't speak for that. But I had the opportunity to get to know my son in so many ways before we found out this diagnosis. And what that allowed me and, and my husband too is to to know when things were right for Gabriel and when they weren't right for him. Right? We we um yes, the diagnosis just added on another piece of information about him. It didn't change how we viewed him. It didn't change who he was. He is who he is. It has been that way since he was born. And he just now has some more health data that we found out. Right? And and that needs to be. Considered when we think about all of these things we talked about, but I don't feel the need in our case to let that become the be all end all for his life. And that's not going to um, define who he is. It, It is part of who he is, it is just another characteristic. It's just part of what makes him the way he is. I also hope that we can get people to research it more and to find out more because I think these brains of these kids have so much more to offer us. I think not just their brains, but their whole, their hearts and their souls. They have so much more to offer us. And because we have things set up as a certain system in this country, education-wise and and in um, and, and our work life and how we, you know, the way we raise our kids, we, some, we we miss it. I think we miss what it is that these boys have to offer us. And that's why I think that when I looked at some of those images four years ago for the first time, it was scary because I think they were based on an older model of a certain way that boys are supposed to develop and boys are supposed to be and these boys didn't fit in it into it and instead of celebrating that they kind of pathologized it and they made it seem like well this isn't normal and there's such a wide range of normal that's what i've also learned too it's all just who we are and we're all we're all different, and we're, yet we're all "quote unquote" normal in our own way. So I just want moms to know that, and that trust their gut, trust their instincts, but get the support and get the experts when you need them too.
0: Gee, that I couldn't said it. I couldn't have said it better. And just one thing I'd like to add to that: what you're doing is you're raising awareness for your son, and you're putting yourself out there, and you're you're becoming part. You know, you see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you're becoming part of the change of Mm -hmm. our community coming out of the shadows and coming into the light and letting people know that, Hey, this is my son, or this is me. Um, this is our story. And you're by you doing that, you're encouraging others to do the same and we're building this huge community. So with everything that you said, you said it wonderfully and it's been amazing having you on and in the future, I look forward to, you know, potentially talking with your son and maybe getting him to describe what it's like in, in his eyes.
1: Yes. And I, 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 I definitely hope that can happen. And I, I want to mention too, Ryan, I should have said this too, that when I did that research four years ago, you were one of the bright spots. It was you and then the person I found that were close to me that were my bright spots of like, okay, this doesn't have to be what everybody's saying that it might be. So I I thank you for doing this. And now you can, I've kind of watched you evolve over the past four years too. You're, you setting up this community and, and starting all of these, uh, you know, these stories and this podcast, I just think it's so wonderful. And it's, it's wonderful for the work you're doing, but also as a parent to kind of see that, Hey, you know, this is, this, there's a lot of possibility out there um, for my kid who's now, you know, younger than you and he will be your age someday. So I just want to thank you for offering that uh, four years ago when there wasn't a lot else out there.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you being part of the change. You know, it's, it's how we, how we offer more things for the the following generations. So it's been wonderful having you and, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Okay. Thanks, Ryan. Bye-bye.